On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are fighting the good fight from behind bars with Nicholas Pinnock in For Life on Sky Witness, getting our fill of talking ravens and other supernatural oddities in sci-fi's Trickster, and finally giving up and getting checkmated by Netflix as we cave in and give The Queen's Gambit the proper review treatment it deserves. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that, after Amon Warman's majestic efforts last week, is now insisting all reviews are accompanied by some form of musical interlude. To that end, I would like to introduce the velvety baritone of one Mr Boyd Hilton, who will be treating us to his very best Spandau Ballet medley <laughs> later in the show. Isn't that right, Boyd? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going to be your go-to track? Well, how would you open it? Um, I think I'd open it with Instinction. Ah, the classic. A bold choice. Yeah, a the, bold the choice. classic song built around a word that doesn't exist. <laughs> Which well. one's that, Boyd? Eh? It's my. I'm not going to sing it. Um, <laughs> it's my Instinction. It's it's my Instinction, and it was produced by Trevor Horn. The single version in an incredible remix. Why, why is it ringing in, a bell? Uh, it's. It's like second album, How's it go? pretty early Just days. Just roughly. <laughs> uh, it's my instinction. Du, du, du. Uh, du, du, du. It's like yeah. What about through but... the barricades. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that's like... That's kind Isn't of, that from Les want... Mis? I'm very confused. <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway, you've just heard her, but responsible for the aria that will accompany this week's Banshee segment is Pilot TV's very own Riot Girl. Uh, sort of, I guess, what you'd get if L7 did a gig at the Chesterfield Apollo. Um, it's Terry White. Hi. How you doing, Terry? <laughs> I'm all right, James. Uh, what would I think? I mean, I've had um, uh, Stars of Blind by Paris Hilton in my head all morning because, um, you know, I found this week a bit of a struggle. We were just talking about this before we started recording. So I thought I needed a pep me up, pick me up, pep me up, pick me up, whichever, both. Either and those. I was walking mm. through Camden to um, another guys are crazy, another guys are duh, I'll show you real love, baby, I'll show Camden. you Camden must have loved this. Fitting <laughs> right into the Camden vibe. <laughs> which is also one of the songs used in the film Promising Young Woman, um, which was announced as going into cinemas this week. So, mm. yeah, so it's, it put a spring in my step. Um, uh, Paris Hilton, who'd have thought? Who indeed would have thought? <laughs> yeah, of course, I interviewed Paris Hilton um, probably about 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah, and actually appeared on, she did this reality show that she filmed in London. Um, it was like, a, and I appeared on it as some kind of expert as well. So I had to do some filming with Paris Hilton at like one in the morning at the Cafe Royal in London. Cafe Royale. Cafe Royale, indeed. And it was madness. What were you an expert on? Oh, Christ knows. Like reality TV shows, I think, at that point. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Hot fat for you, boy. There is a character in the World of Warcraft popular role-playing game called Harris Pilton, who is a, a reference oh, to Paris. very Horn. good. Yeah. That's good. Um, what have you both been watching this week? So, I'm going to jump in with something that Boyd and I have been watching. Not together, but I just know Boyd <laughs> intimately. Not well, not intimately, but well. <laughs> wow. Um, yep. Uh, I am a... Celebrity, which has made a triumphant <laughs> return. And let me tell you that I never used to watch I'm a Celebrity. I will admit to being a little bit snobby about reality TV. I was a little bit James <laughs> about the whole thing. But I've talked before about the certain types of TV that have got me through the last year. Gogglebox, which is still on and still getting me through. But I'm a Celebrity, my Boyfriend really liked it, and I thought, oh, God, well, it'll give us something, something to do every night. Oh, my God. It is 
genius and it is genius because of one gentleman <laughs> so i'm a celebrity james you probably don't know this but it's loads of celebrities some more celebrity <laughs> than others and they go in the jungle together apart from this year they can't go in the jungle for obvious reasons so they're in a castle in wales and it's a mixture of ages and um uh jobs and but they're all kind of kind of well known. So you've got the likes of Shane Ritchie, you've got Victoria Derbyshire, who I'm obsessed with. I think she's a goddess, um, the journalist. Uh this is you've got TV stars, you've got authors, and then you have this lad who I'd never seen in my life before called Jordan North. Jordan North is a very, very, very northern radio presenter. And He's basically terrified of everything. And from the minute he sets foot on the screen, he's petrified of absolutely everything. And what happens always, because the great British public are terrible, is he always gets voted to do the challenge. So it's a different challenge every night. They open the phone lines, everybody votes, and one or more people have to do the challenge. And basically it's always him because he freaks out. He threw up just when he arrived to get the to scale down the cliff to get to the castle. He threw up in the grass just with the knowledge that he was going to have to do that. So he's been there as um, somebody to kind of pick on from the beginning. And so obviously he's picked every time and he is hilarious and funny and terrified and the great British public are awful. But, and I don't know if it's because, you know, we need something like that, but everyone's much being much kinder and nicer to each other this year. There's no real tensions in camp. You've got to think previously they've had the likes of John McCrerick, um, people who are there to deliberately stir the pot. And I, it's been a lifeline for me this week. I don't know about you, Boy D. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing's been watching yeah. Great British Bake Off, which has done the same thing. And if you haven't seen this week's, it is an absolute travesty. A woman who has been <laughs> leading the pack from the get-go and had one bad week and then is out, which I think is ridiculous. Um, and the other thing, uh, I talked about this last week, I watched the second episode of Saving Britain's Pubs with Tom Kerridge. Last night, so it's, he chose three or four pubs and he's basically looking at what they're doing to survive. Um, but it started before Corona. So you met them all last week and you got to know their own particular problems. It's a bit kitchen nightmares, but nicer um, and with more substance. And last night I actually found really emotional because you caught up with the pubs when Corona hit and you see the news reports from Wuhan and Matt Hancock saying there's a very low risk of of anything bad happening in England and um and you see the you know there's a landlady who breaks down and is in tears in this episode and you realize that between the rows about whether pubs should open and pubs close and all of this that actually people's lives and livelihoods are caught up in this and I found it incredibly incredibly moving so, you know, last time I spoke to you, James, I was regaling you with where I've got on the West Wing. And then this week, the West Wing, there's been no West Wing for the oh. first time. I just Who even are you? Well, I think it's because um, uh, I've been spending a lot of time with my family and I can't force my viewing habits on other people. I know you have a different philosophy. Um, <laughs> but so um, I've been, we've been doing a lot of family viewing and that family viewing. Is pretty it's pretty much it's pretty yeah. much that I am going to go back mm. to the West Wing this weekend, but I needed a bit of British solace this oh, week. God, honestly, it's just that sounds like my idea of hell. You couldn't sentence me to watch that shite, but I have a question for you both. I did actually have a celebrity question. I was going to actually ask you, like, why are they in a castle? Why can't they just be in the jungle? What fucking difference does it make? It's the jungle. There's no one around. Like, I, I don't understand. We can't but, fly. Yeah, you can't. 
And can they, yeah, can they trek won't... there? Can't they make that part of it? I don't They're know. They're based here. How do they get to Australia? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Who cares? <laughs> Australia doesn't want... Australia has got rid of the virus That's true. pretty much. They, they don't, don't want, they British, don't want celebrities British coming over. Yeah. No more right. British Literally. celebrities. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> exactly. That's fair enough. I can, exactly. I'm with Australia on this one. I'm, and I'm, the crew. Don't forget there's a crew yeah. of about 100, you know, at All least right, fair enough. people. Okay. I get that. But I decided I didn't want to ask that because I just didn't want to give more oxygen to this nonsense that you've been talking about. Well, you're going to have to because I'm going to talk about it as well. All right. Well, let me ask a question in the in-between. So this is not my thing. I have a question for you. And the question is about The Crown. You've both seen all of the new season of The Crown, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. So my mum has taken issue with the new season of The Crown because it is apparently a pack of lies. Now, please explain to Which me. Which ones? Like, I, I don't know. Don't tell. Don't, literally, you're talking to the guy who didn't even know who Princess Anne was. I am not in any way an authority on the royals. But let's. So she was saying, but it's not true. They've made it up, and they should be. There should be a disclaimer at the beginning saying that you know it's not true. How accurate is it? Like you, you two must know. Right. Well, my my answer to that would be it is a drama. And I, I, I think the reason there isn't a disclaimer is because it is, it is. I mean, I think they're just assuming that people. God, that's this is going to sound like I'm criticizing your mum. Sorry. <laughs> let me, let me. But I think they're assuming. There may have even been a disclaimer at the beginning, and there's probably a disclaimer in the end credits. I think there is one. But it is Peter Morgan, the writer's version mm. of the royal family, of these people's lives, of the events, of major events in their lives. But it is dramatised. It is. It does take liberties with the strict truth, whatever. Well, I mean, let's get get into the whole philosophical idea. I mean, what you genuinely is, can't what know the truth, anyway. can you? But yeah. it does absolutely, 100%, not follow exactly historical mm. facts. It, 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 there's conjecture. There's, you know, it's depicting, I mean, put it... Put, on one level, it's depicting the Queen is never, ever, ever in her life as the Queen ever said anything on the record about anything of any political, any way whatsoever. So let let alone know what she said to Thatcher, for example, yeah. in those meetings. So it's total, you know, it's 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 Peter Morgan with research and with talking to a lot of people involved, saying I this my my his version of events is that the Queen and Thatcher had this relationship, and there were always stories about that. I'm just using this but as an example. He believes that that's broadly yeah, true. Yeah, he absolutely, mm. and and, I, and so do I. And I think you know there was definitely a lot of stories at the time. I, I grew up, you know, kind of paying attention to that um, as a Thatcher child, <laughs> and. Um, uh, you're definitely aware of that it was an interesting relationship, and he is dramatised that. What I would say though is, and I know and I absolutely love The Crown. You know, I, I, it's inc- I find it incredibly entertaining, fascinating viewing. And as I said when we reviewed it, I don't think I think people think it's a, it's a kind of celebration of the royals. Mm. I don't think it is. I do think Peter Morgan sometimes. I think his technique, and it, bearing in mind it is a drama, I think sometimes he. Dramatizing stuff that really does take goes slightly too far for me in taking a liberty. Like, at, for example, actually in Frost Nixon, my my favorite example in the film Frost mm. Nixon, which he wrote famously, great film. The whole that whole thing is m- more or less true, right? He actually has verbatim a lot of verbatim from the actual interviews that that David Frost did with President Nixon. But he inserts a scene the night before the key interview where they he caught they speak to each other on the phone and they talk about. Do you, I don't know if you remember this? And it, that did not happen mm. right so it's like the key moment in the whole story he has made up <laughs> he did a similar thing there's a similar thing that happened in the church of him that he didn't write that scene in the underground in the churchill film with gary oldman yeah yeah, yeah. didn't yeah, happen yeah, yeah. and that's the, the longest scene in that film the longest sequence yeah. on the underground between right. stops so ever. What I, I feel like well i think sometimes those liberties feel slightly misguided to me and i think there are moments in this in this in this series of the crown where i think he's overegging it and I, it's not you know as i said at the top i think it's quite unsubtle all the stuff he, yeah. shoot, he does but 
it is a drama. There probably is a disclaimer somewhere in the closing credits, and it's and I think we all have to understand that. Well, Mum, I hope uh, I hope that has answered your question. <laughs> well, it, but it is a weird mix because some of it is right, and you know, real people do read it, and it is um, seen by people, and there is a an, a. Sh- uh, a striving for a certain amount of accuracy, but it is a supposition. A lot of it, as you said, James, there's, there's whole conversations we will never know. And for example, the episode with Fagin, who went in um, and climbed in through her window, he gave an interview some years ago where he said he never actually had a conversation with the Queen. She, he came in, she immediately got up, ran out the room and went and got somebody and he spoke to those people, but he didn't have a conversation with the Queen. Obviously, Peter Morgan's version, they had a very nice, long conversation. And I think there are there are people, I think because so much of it is correct, whether it be dates or, or the big overarching event, people kind of want the other stuff to be as well. But there's no way to know what those private conversations would ever hold, those private conversations with, between the Queen and Philip. I think it's really the bigger things are the beats around character. So there's been a lot of debate about is um, Charles too brutal or actually too sympathetic? Is Diana too sympathetic? Like, I think it's really people Mm -hmm. are used to quite binary storytelling in terms of who's evil and who's good. And for a long time, it was Diana was the victim and Charles was cruel and the Queen was quite cruel. And obviously the crown, really, it's it's not so binary. They're all kind of uh, dicks at times. They're all nice at times. They all get sympathy. But you see, what I like about it and what I appreciate about it is I feel like Peter Morgan as uh, Peter Morgan's uh, Peter Morgan's desire is to humanise, which I think he does. I think the Queen Diana, Anne, Margaret, Charles, particularly, I think they all come across like real human beings. And all you can expect a drama to do when it's talking about people who are usually figures is make them flesh and blood. And that's what I think is genius about The Crown. So I don't really care what's real and what's not, but I think it's more (laughs) challenging for people who lived through a lot of stuff, read through a lot of stuff, thought they had a lot of stuff set in their mind, and then maybe stuff happens in The Crown which kind of either contradicts that or rattles that. I think he's showing a version of events that could have happened which in all likelihood is no more accurate than the version of events that we all accept as true from the newspaper coverage like it's all just different sides of fiction isn't it but uh okay this is interesting mum i i hope that this has been helpful to you (laughs) anyway boyd please tell me you've watched something other than the reality bollocks I have, yeah. I've, I'll tell you what I've watched, not the reality bollocks, which is the um, the latest in the Small X series, Red, White and Blue, that you won't let us review no, on this podcast. I staged an intervention this week, listeners, yeah, because they wanted to do a third one. I was like, no, we've done two films, two weeks back. running, we're fucking not doing it a third time. Well, we do, but, we, <laughs> I, 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 but let me just say that we wouldn't traditionally do films that are on TV but there was some grey area with these and we thought that they were so significant that if there was a debate about it, we would rather err on talking about the brilliant seismic thing that's happening on TVs. Wouldn't we, James? 
I'm sure there was some brilliant show on the Sci-Fi Channel that would have been better fit. No, well, this is a TV event. It's a TV drama event of an, it's an anthology of TV dramas. You can call them films or whatever, and it's a TV event which should, this, which should become the Pilot TV podcast and not Empire. But I'll, I'll, I'll let that pass. Anyway, Red, White and Blue is the next one, which we didn't, we're not reviewing this week. No. So let me just say very quickly that it is the one with John Boyega. It's one of the performances of his career mm. as this real-life um, uh, policeman who joined the Metropolitan Police when his father was attacked in a racist attack by um, white police and he became a very prominent figure and it's a fascinating look at the institution what it's like within an inst- a racist institution in the 80s and he is incredible in it and it's brilliant and it's well worth seeing next Sunday <laughs> 9 o'clock BBC One so that is my non-reality <laughs> although based on reality uh, incredible film slash drama slash whatever um, but I, do, I was going to mention I'm a celebrity because the other thing to, to say about it Everything Terry said is absolutely right. I totally Victoria Derbyshire is my favourite. Who's Victoria Derbyshire? She's a um, she was used to be on Radio Five Live. Um, she used to have me on quite a lot on her Radio Five Live shows and was always incredible. And um, she's been on BBC. Um, she had her own show on BBC uh, One or Two every morning. One and um, famously, it got yeah. axed by the BBC outrageously. Even though it's one of the few proper mix of hard news, proper news, politics. Um, uh, very personal stories. It was brilliant, and then, but she still is a regular BBC News. And she presenter. does a lot about um, violence against women. She yeah, had, comes she, from a, a, right. a, a family um, where domestic violence mm-hmm. was present, so she's very vocal and supportive on that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and generally all lots of important issues like that she covers on, on her shows. She's she's brilliant, and she's now in the in the Welsh in castle. The Welsh castle. In the okay. Welsh castle. I was going to say jungle, but the other thing about, of course, I'm saying is Anton fucking Deck because. Ant and Deck, this is the thing. This is the greatest thing they do. So obviously they do their own, they have Saturday Night Takeaway, James, your favourite. They do, uh, you know, all kinds of other shows. They're in love, actually. <laughs> They're in love, actually, exactly. Um, but I think the links they do, it's just literally they're standing there explaining what's going on, making fun of what's going on, doing running jokes, observations about what we've just seen and what we're about to see and they're so beautifully put together with them and their writer um and they're so their timing is so fantastic that that alone them doing their links on i'm a celebrity every night is um as terry is saying that is the bomb i need <laughs> in my life right now with lockdown broken arm etc and they that so that alone is brilliant on top of the fascination of the actual show itself and poor jordan north having to do the um trial every single day of his life should, we but should yeah, mention that, that you have broken your arm boyd this is this is I this is my news. arm yeah yeah in case people don't know yeah yes. um so i'm even how more... many of them were there and and did you bring them down <laughs> it was um lots of leaves <laughs> lots of wet leaves on wet grass that's why i slipped on and i hope you, um, you swept I, them all up and put them on a bonfire afterwards you must have extracted some kind of you know justice um no i just like you know covered in leaves and mud at that point when they Pop me in the ambulance and uh, took me to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I feel even so more sorry for myself than would normally <laughs> having to work from home and do all oh. that. And so Anton Deck, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they need in our lives. I'm glad they at helped. the moment. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, what have I watched this week? One thing that kind of popped into my head uh, while I was watching Star Trek: Next Generation this morning, uh, not this morning, <laughs> but a morning earlier in the week, and um, was that. Back when TV wasn't 16.9, back when it was 4.3 framed, the personal space that people kept on network television is really 
really disturbing because the nature of the sort of the narrow framing without a widescreen format people stood right in each other's fucking faces and you forget this because we're not quite so used to it now i mean yes people still do it to a certain extent but there was a scene i was particularly watching it was an episode of next generation called times arrow and Riker and picard are so close to each other it's like they're going to kiss and i think in in an age of covid when just watching two people get within two meters of each other makes you slightly anxious i think that's what made me really flag to it but it's really funny so if you watch any old network tv shows people stand so fucking close to each other it's really really weird that was my observation that's interesting, yeah. You're not yeah. interested. Quite interesting trolling. that you. No, I, I, the best, <laughs> the, the best revelation, the best revelation of that was that you get up and watch Star Trek: The Next Generation what, what's in wrong the with morning. That? <laughs> I mean, you know, I do. I yeah. do a little bit of exercise of a morning, and I like to exercise too. Captain Picard. What a vision! Yeah, what a vision that go. is. You and your little short like Mr. Motivator, vest. but you know, with replicators. <laughs> Mr. Replicator. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so that was one thing. The other thing is, I watched the new episode of The Mandalorian this morning. Obviously, we go out on Monday, so most people will have seen it because this is Friday as we record. But uh, I thought the new episode of The Mandalorian was fucking unbelievably good. Better it was so good. Better than last week's. Better than last week's, in my opinion. Yes, directed by Carl Weathers. This one, who uh, Chris and I are speaking to later this afternoon. So the spoiler special episode of The Mandalorian, which we'll be putting out on Monday, same day as this podcast, will feature Carl Weathers and all of us banging on about this particularly excellent episode. Uh, so I do recommend And this is not just me. I mean, it is me shilling for the spoiler specials, obviously, but it's not just me shilling for the spoiler specials because uh, it's a great episode. Carl Weathers is awesome, and I suspect that we will be extremely uh, incisive and insightful when we speak about it later today. Um, so. James, would you say this is better than season one even? Uh, so far, yes, actually, mm. I really would. I think they've they've really latched onto what works about this, and it like we thought that. So last week's episode, we thought the plot was going to move on a lot more. I knew it wasn't going to because this is not to talk any 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 spoilers. But there's a character has been revealed is coming up. That's not a spoiler. It was in the episode, and the person directing the next episode is more closely connected to that character. So I knew that this would be a quote-unquote filler episode. So I thought it would just be, oh, it's another kind of procedurally Mandalorian titting about on a planet one. But a lot happens, and it's action-packed, and it's really good, and Baby Yoda is arguably the cutest he has ever been in this episode. <laughs> All I'm going to say is macaroons. It's just extraordinary. So, uh, yeah, this episode is called The Siege, and it is really fucking good. So uh, that's the Mandalorian. But, 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 the main thing I want to talk about is this. So... This week on Monday, I finished finished season two of Counterpart, which you will know I have been watching recently. Uh, this is, of course, the Justin Marks show that I've been banging on about periodically on this podcast. And I was absolutely bereft when it ended. And I realized afterwards that I have not enjoyed a show that much in as long as I can remember. So much so, I think Counterpart is now one of my all-time favorite TV shows. Uh, and no wow. one has seen it and no one knows anything about it and it's just fucking magnificent and i think it's possible i care about it more than even the creator because i tweeted about this and the creator justin marks <laughs> replied to me and went yeah do you know what it's probably for the best i'm sure we'd have fucked it up if we carried on with it so i think just take a bow and walk away i'm like how am i more upset about the cancellation than you so give us right i'm give me the pitch Give us the pitch. All right, so, 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 I, and I have talked about the podcast before, but I will because no one ever listens to me when I speak. So I, I, I can do it again. I it first. You did. Let's not you forget. Did. I don't remember either of these is, things. Of course, you shut this to Boydie. 
<laughs> but um, I, uh, I actually watched it because you bantered it, Boyd. Like, it had been on my view list for ages, and a few people had tweeted me saying, you've got to watch this, you've got to watch this. But you bantered it. I was like, right, I'm going to move this up my list. I'm going to watch this soon. So there are only two seasons of this show. Uh, it first aired in uh, 2017. Second season was in 2019. And... Um, it's kind of, it's a really grounded drama. Like in in so many ways, it's kind of an old school espionage thriller with just a little bit of sci-fi tossed in. So the idea is that, as I mentioned before, it's all set in Berlin and that's not an accident. It's very much inspired by the idea of, you know, East Germany and the wall and, you know, the Cold War and communism versus capitalism, East versus West. There's a lot of that in there. But there is a parallel world and the crossing is under a building in East Germany, uh, in Berlin. And so you have J.K. Simmons on this side, who's this kind of low-level sort of like administrator, and then you've got J.K. Simmons on the other side, he plays a guy called Howard Silk, uh, and he on the other side is a high-level kind of spy-type hardened killer. And they become involved. He comes over. And the first season is very much about the two Howards. And yes, there are plots and there's intrigue going on, but it's very much about, you know, him coming over. And then at one point, Howard Alpha, which is our Howard, if you could call it ours, goes to the other world. And then it becomes very much about these two parallel stories, one in each world and how they intertwine. It is not an easy show to follow on any level. It's really fucking dense. It's a proper slow burn. And there's a lot to keep in your head like who is this person is this the alpha version or is this the prime version what is their motivation who the fuck is shadow mira who are you do you know there is a, i mean there are a lot of moving parts to it but that's part of its appeal like the mythology and the world building is extraordinary and the acting is an absolute masterclass jk simmons olivia williams harry lloyd uh, nazanin boniardi is fantastic in as well ulrich thompson from banshee is in it for fuck's sake nicholas pinnock who we'll be talking about later in the show is extraordinarily good in this as well james cromwell's in it really Really, really, really good people in it. And I just, I was, from the very first episode, completely sucked into this show. Uh, and it kind of, it makes the idea of a parallel world seem almost offhand, almost incidental. And it doesn't sensationalize it. It just presents it as fat. Like, it's like saying, oh, it's another country. Like, you forget that this is a sci-fi show and you just feel like this is a Cold War drama. And it's really, it's got a sort of this very chilly atmosphere. It's beautifully shot. Uh, and and I, yeah, I, I thought it was magnificent. And season one is very neat and compelling because it's all very novel. Season two, they broaden the mythology, and there's one particular episode which is an origin story, which goes back in time and shows you how the crossing came about. And that, which was directed by Justin Marks, is an extraordinary piece of television. Um, and it comes to a proper ending. A lot of people are saying, well, it did get cancelled. I'm not sure I want to watch it. It has a proper ending. It sets up a season three, but it doesn't require one. And actually, there's an excellent Reddit AMA that Marks did where he talks about what the show would have been if it got a third season. And actually, he would have gone from you know the east german idea and he'd have gone very casablanca casablanca the idea of the borders in that film and it would have been set in tangiers and there was a lot of stuff going on and he'd have been focusing much more significantly on some of the the lesser screen time characters which would have been fun sadly that's never going to happen but it's worth reading the reddit if you've if you've seen the show but uh, as i say it's it's a really really great show uh, i think for the acting for the story for all of it and yeah, it is available on Stars Play. So I only watched this first season, so I need oh, to watch Oh, you should watch season two. Season. Like season two yeah. is really, really good because yeah. the layers it adds to it. But what's really funny about this and what actually makes it quite chilling, and I think I've mentioned this before as well, is 
and again, parallel world, sci-fi, you know, put that on hold. The parallels this show has with the reality we now live in are quite stark because there is a pandemic element to this. And the chilling part of this is it feels a lot like there are gaps in this story, certainly, that are filled up, and I'm, gonna, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, by our current reality. It feels almost like this is like an origin story for 2020. And I think that, more than anything else, really makes it hit very, very hard indeed. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't recommend this enough. It's, it's Like I say, it's on Amazon, but it's not just Amazon. You also need to subscribe to Stars. Season 1 is available on DVD, so if you just wanted to try it out, you could probably pick that up cheap from, uh, you know, CEX or anywhere else. Um, but Season 2 never got a, a DVD release, so that you can only watch on Stars here in the UK. But, uh, Terry, I genuinely think you'd like this. It may not sound like your kind of show, but... Did you say Stars Play? Star, it's on stars yeah yeah how do how do you subscribe to stars is it well, on can, amazon yeah you can you can yeah. subscribe to it through amazon so if you go amazon video mm. you can then pay extra and get stars as well as amazon so it's a little bit right. convoluted and confusing as modern streaming tends to be but uh, yes it's, okay. it's yeah it's very good if you go into amazon prime there's there's like channels yeah. aren't they you, know, you, mm. yeah, you yeah. subscribe to yeah. it as a channel yeah. yeah but it's i mean it's a, it's a shame it isn't more easily and by easily i mean free uh for people to get to because i just think this is a show that could desperately just do with people finding it i mean it's too late to revive it now i think they tried to shop it around and find another home for it and they didn't have any luck and justin marks has since moved mm. on because he wrote top gun maverick which is out next year but um but yes genuinely this but is it, now in the pantheon of my favorite it, tv shows i i you've you've inspired me to watch season you should. two so i'm gonna you definitely should. do you that should stop next watching week. all this castle yeah. fucking yeah. nonsense and watch counterpart <laughs> I'm telling you. You normally love castle oh. nonsense. <laughs> I do. Mm. It's true. I do love castle nonsense, though I prefer it to be accompanied by swords and dragons as opposed to shit British celebrities. <sighs> anyway. Anyway, anyway, that is it. We've lost Terry because I can hear her writing emails. So we best move on to the next segment of the podcast. <laughs> I was I was oh. not oh. writing emails. I was checking a fact. <laughs> Were you emailing someone to check the facts? No, my email is closed because otherwise you'd hear the email ping that goes off every five ping minutes. Ping. All right, fine. Ping. All right, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, right, let us move on now to this week's listener question. We are <laughs> wildly over on this podcast already, so apologies to those of you who wanted to do something else today. Uh, this week's question comes from Kathy O'Grady, and she says, trying to give you a question that does not include Buffy, Seinfeld, West Wing, or Friends. They are banned from this question. Uh, favorite TV show. What is your favorite TV show not from the UK or the US? She's put in a word for Borgen or The Killing, Babylon, Berlin, and she's also mentioned Prisoner Cell Block H. Seems to be an outlier to me. But what are your picks? Now, I'm really only putting this question in here so that Boyd gets a chance to say, La Casa du Papel, but, you know, <laughs> off you go. <laughs> <laughs> La Casa de Papel, yeah, Money Heist, absolutely on the Netflix has been a absolute triumph. Um, it's a brilliant romp about it's it's basically the ultimate heist, fun, over the top, very very entertaining drama. Yeah, there's that, but that wouldn't be in like I think that, that that's like in terms of pure entertainment value, that is a brilliant show. But like The Bridge, my favourite of all the Scandi, um, noir type dramas is The so Bridge, Brown, which like is the, the original one. Bridge, not the the Stephen original, yeah. British one or, no, or the American one. Yeah, so Stephen Delane was the tunnel, wasn't it? So we've got the tunnel, which yes. is between UK and France. We've got the bridge yeah. with Diane Kruger, which is the American Mexican one. And then Bruin, yeah. which is the Scandinavian the, one. Yeah. 
The Scandinavian one, exactly, yeah. Where the where they found the dead body cut in half, half of it in the exact centre of the bridge between Malmo and Copenhagen. Mm. And it's um Sophia Helen uh, is brilliant as um as what's her name? Saga Noren, <laughs> thank you. It's, so it was just I think uh, it was such a brilliant premise and such a brilliant premise in fact that that's why it went on to be remade and reimagined mm. and rebooted in, in different countries. Um the Sky one, that that was really good, the Stephen Delane one actually, but I, I did enjoy it. But wasn't that. the other one, the Diane Kruger's one supposed to be really good as well. Like all three yeah, of them yeah, are supposed th- to be great. Yeah, I think they're all yeah, but I still think this is the the first and best. Um, she just absolutely inhabited the role. And the last season, there were four series of it, and the last one was phenomenal as well. It really, I think series two and three, not quite mm. as good as the first, but I really brought it back in season four. And um, yeah, I think the bridge is, is absolutely up. The killing was, the mm. killing totally set the pace, didn't it? Like in terms yeah, of like yeah, in-depth, that was 20 episodes, yeah. I think that first series. Yeah. Um, in terms of an in-depth look at one case. And that was the big sort of like landmark scan crossover wasn't it yeah it changed the face yeah it changed the face of kind of and it was shown on bbc4 mm. saturday night remake of that wasn't bad either you know i very much enjoyed yeah, that yeah. with Mireille Enos and uh, joel kinnaman yeah um so that all those definitely i was also going to mention unorthodox which was the israeli drama which was this year was one of the best things of this year was brilliant and that was an example of a you know of a netflix phenomenon that totally happened by word of mouth i didn't really you know this israeli thing about orthodox um jews and um the diff- different particular sect and their strange rituals and customs and the effect that has on the young woman involved was brilliant and my final one I, which I mentioned before I think I banshed it but Please Like Me is an Australian comedy mm. about this gay guy and his um, interesting friends and was really really I think there are four series of that I think it's all on Amazon Prime and that's a kind of um, like a really bold a central half-hour comedy series, absolutely no holds barred. Look at sexuality and um, all and gender mm. and everything and mental health. It's really brilliant. So um, please like me. I'm surprised yeah, you didn't mention those. dark. Yeah, uh, dark. I really liked. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot, but I've limiting myself. Have you seen Babylon Berlin? Like, I've I've heard good things about it. I've never watched I've it myself. I've only seen the first few episodes. Yeah, it was really mm. good. It was, uh, but there are. You're right. There are loads of very, very huge fans of that. Yeah, very, very yeah, huge gets fans. Yeah, gets a lot of love. Weirdly, this question made me realise how few non-UK slash US shows I watch. Yeah, I mean, there's a show called DNA. I was just going to mention this, which is the most recent BBC Four um, Saturday Night. Uh, drama which people loved and I didn't get a chance to watch that and I got had a few tweets actually over the last couple of weeks saying we really should have mm. um, paid more attention to that and then there's another the Valhalla murder starts this Saturday will have just started on when the podcast comes out so there are those ones which BBC Falls I have to say not very good at alerting me to these shows <laughs> I need to check out those shows because they're most of them are fucking really yeah, good basically yeah. they pick that they do pick the best of those types and of shows Norseman is supposed to be fantastic as well which has been on my watch list for a long time you know I love a bit of Viking yeah. fun. Um, yeah. But that, uh, yeah, that's supposed to be really good too. Terry, how about you? Uh, you, I think, use the word niche to talk about Prisoner Cell Block H. <laughs> but actually, James Dyer, my choice is Wentworth, um, which is essentially a prequel to Prisoner Cell Block H. So I used to watch Prisoner Cell Block H when I was a little girl. If I couldn't sleep, I would sneak downstairs and put Prisoner Cell Block H on. See, most kids watched Whizbit or My Little Pony. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me in the slightest that you used to sit down and watch Prisoner Cell Block H. Well, you know, at midnight, it was was good viewing. Um, And everybody will remember that the kind of protagonist in many respects was B, who was a very long-standing, long-suffering prisoner who essentially ran 
man, the prison, um, was serving a life sentence for killing her husband. Now, Wentworth is genius. So it's actually the beginning of B's story. It's covering her first few years in prison when she first gets sent down about how she not just survives, but thrives, the hierarchy she builds to become top dog. And she's played by Danielle Cormack, who is amazing in this show um it's got kind of all the good bits about prison cell block h was actually it was quite bold and and risky and dealt with violence against women and kind of tribalism amongst women it was really really interesting as kind of like a social piece of telly and absolutely utterly mad as well but you know that goes by the way and this is now in its ninth series its final series i've always watched it on channel five um but it's also all available on Amazon from season one to watch. So if you want to have a bit of uh, Prison Cell Block H prequel action, then I massively recommend Wentworth, which is Australian. Isn't it on? So it's on like one of the Channel 5 channels, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Like I five think stars. I saw it on yeah, Five yeah, yeah. Star. I yeah, want to say, yeah. but it's all on on Amazon, which all of them, which I think are a bit easier. I think it's free if you've got Prime. Right. Mm. So, it's 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 how are we defining? She said it's favorite TV show not from the UK or US, like you know, normal people, the full Dublin murders. These all happen in Ireland. Can I get away with those, or is that just cheating? That it's is cheating. cheating. Otherwise, those shows are commissioned by yeah, British. See, that, I knew that. Yeah, I not, knew that. There are Irish yeah. Irish shows, but not those. Are those, not those. Are, I mean, no. so, some of like Orphan Black is Canadian. There are quite any, there are some good Canadian shows actually. Hmm. In fact, we'll be talking about one yeah, uh, yeah. a little bit later on. But um, my particular show that, of course. Terry should have seen coming is Fire Escape because Farscape is Australian. Is it? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. God. I mean, I, forgot about I don't know that. if it's. I mean, it's. It's. Yeah. it's a, I believe it's a co-production. I can't tell you who funds it exactly. I know the Henson Company is involved in it, so I'm not going to pretend it's necessarily Australian funded. But everyone fucking in it, apart from Ben Brown, is Australian. So it's shot in Australia. It's full of Australians. It is Australian, uh, and uh, it's. Uh, I, I'm, as you all know, my feelings about Farscape. It is glorious. It is wonderful. Terry has watched it and quite enjoyed it i seem to recall so yeah i uh farscape it's australian it's great therefore i am not as narrow-minded as you think well i mean yeah i mean it's like self-parodic <laughs> but for you to pick far- farscape but that's fine <laughs> right okay i hope kathy that has answered your question and uh, none of us of course mentioned buffy seinfeld west wing or friends so there is that as well um if you would like a question answered on the pilot tv podcast do feel free to send us your questions the best way to do it is via direct message to at pilot tv pod the slightly less efficient way to do it is to send it to me directly on twitter or instagram i mean i will definitely see it but there's a very real chance i'll forget about it before the show but you know what do what you like who am i to be prescriptive uh let's move on now to this week's news and who would like to kick us off with some current affairs um this morning friday when we record this podcast it was finally confirmed and i actually kind of wasn't quite sure this hadn't already been confirmed but it hadn't that um ashling b her series this way up which we mm. reviewed of course on the podcast um the channel 4 show which she stars with sharon horgan and sharon horgan's company produces it that has been commissioned for a second series uh which is very good news because i loved it and i love ashling b and i love sharon horgan i love the whole thing it was about her character um and her um issues with loneliness 
Ace, mm, particularly, um, and it was really, really good. It was great, and it was it was as, as moving and in, you know kind of dramatic as it was comedic. Um, but I have no problem with that. And so, yeah, well done, Ashling B. Um, it was announced that um, Alicia Vikander and Terrace Winter are developing an M for Murder anthology series which is exciting which is actually kind of you know as opposed to the hitchcock play it became um is actually going to be more from the 1952 play which mm. existed before the film um but that sounds i mean she's not done something big for a while has she alicia vikander i think um vikander is a wonderful actor and i know it's not based on the Hitchcock, but she is. She has that kind of Hotchkickian. 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 She's got that Hitchcockian vibe um, for me. No kind of word on um, who might pick that up um, or where it might get aired mm. or when. Um, but be interested to see how they develop that out as an anthology. It's interesting that they've looked back mm. to the source material because, of course, you can't really update that. So it wouldn't be no. dial M for murder. It'd be like tweet M for murder because no one uses the phone these days. <laughs> Maybe that's what it'll be. It'll oh, be, God, uh... come on, Grandad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Dial in for Murder is one of my favourite films. So I'm very excited about that. I, I absolutely fucking love it. Yeah, it's, it's a real, it's so ingenious, that story, and the way it does it. It's all uh, literally confined pretty much to one set. I mean, it's entirely confined to one set, in fact, and it's brilliantly done. I love that film, yeah. Um, did you see the Phelpsy news? We missed, Fel- we missed Phelpsy news. I think it kind of arrived maybe too late for last oh. week. Um, yeah, well, she, she is writing a new um, factual drama, a kind of true crime drama called The Sixth Commandment, mm. which is based on the death of Peter Farquhar um, in Buckinghamshire. And it was a really disturbing case where this young man kind of befriended this guy um, and kind of established a kind, a kind of a kind of fake relationship with him and his neighbour, a lady who's his neighbour. Um, and it and it was like a case of gaslighting and awful kind of exploitation. And that and who better to dramatise it than the than the great Sarah Phelps? So I'm absolutely yeah, fascinated definitely. to see what happens. I with am that. up for that. Yeah. What else have we got news-wise? So, you season three. So, Tati Gabrielle, who formerly of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, though sadly no longer, has signed on for season three of You, which it occurs to me we will not be getting in time for Christmas. I watched season two of You last Christmas. Mm. I think season three has now been delayed to 2021. But uh, Tati Gabrielle is going to be playing uh, Marianne. It's a, a no-nonsense librarian who lives in Joe and Love's neighbourhood. Hmm. There you go. Uh, I mean, th- that that show is pure trash, but in the best possible way. And I thought season two of that really, really, really kind of built on and played with the format that they had in season one. I think it's great. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I can't wait for it's, it's, it's yeah you're right it's, gut, it's gutting to know something because that's such a treat yeah. that's such it's a like Christmas treat Christmas Nef- programming classic yeah. Netflix it's so yeah. much fun yeah. um, what else have you heard a little bit more about the Dexter revival so Marcos Yeager is going to be directing it but more importantly there was a little bit of a sort of mini capsule synopsis which is set 10 years after Dexter Morgan went missing in the eye of Hurricane Laura the revival sees the character now living under an assumed name in a world away from Miami. I assume they mean world metaphorically there, and it's not actually like a crossover with Counterpart where he's gone over to another dimension. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. You know, I'm up for that too. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated to see what they do with this this Dexter remake. You know, just giving it a proper ending would be enough. So, yeah, good stuff. What else have we got? There's the thing about um, the HBO Max. Yes. Um, DMZ, DMZ, DMZ. So that's, yeah, Ava DuVernay's um, uh, going to show run 
Do you know? I don't really know what DMZ is, but all I know is from the from the uh, story that it is a DC comic series. Indeed. Uh, yeah, and it's going to star Rosario Dawson, um, and it's co-created by Duvernay and Westworld writer Robert Pat- Patino. But the actual story is based on a DC comic series set in the near future when America mm. is embroiled in a bitter civil war, which has left Manhattan a demilitarized zone. Hence DMZ. But you know, Benjamin Bratt, Ava Duvernay, Rosario Dawson. Yeah, I mean, that sounds it feels cool. Like- Come next year, this yeah. could be a very much be a documentary, I think, at this stage, which is terrifying. <laughs> but yes. uh, th- this has been true. in the works for quite some time, so I'm glad to see it moving forward. Uh, I the, the, the comic series from this is renowned as one of the greatest comic series ever, so uh, it does both oh, very well. Okay. I still want to know what's happening with Why the Last Man. That's been quite quiet for a while. So Quite a few great, uh, great comic book series uh, are in the pipeline. So let's hope they move a little quicker. Anything else, or is that it for news? That would appear to That's be it for it. news. <laughs> we have no more news yep. to give you. So no let's news. move on to this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have For Life, which comes from the mind of the last ship's Hank Steinberg and is based loosely on the life of Isaac Wright Jr., who was wrongly convicted of a crime, qualified as a lawyer behind bars, and went on to fight for and acquit a number of his fellow inmates. Uh, this one stars Nicholas Pinnock as Aaron Wallace, who suffers a similar fate. Uh, and Terry is sitting in judgment over this particular case. So what was the verdict your Honour. So, this, in the first five minutes, I was thinking broke all of Boydie's rules. So, <laughs> you've got a little bit of history, you've got a hell of a lot of narration, you've got a shit ton of exposition. Um, so, you really do have to strap yourself in from the beginning for this one, because there is a lot to catch up on from when you join this man, played by Nicholas Pinnock, who we will know better. He's a Brit, obviously. He's been in Marcella. He's been in Top Boy. Um, he's been in Counterpart, been more in importantly. Counterpart. <laughs> he Whoa. is, I have to say, a phenomenal actor. He has such a presence. Um, Mm. But yeah, you follow him in this quite confusing setup where he's walking into court in this, you know, immaculate, sharp grey suit. He walks to the desk and he's kind of telling his story at the same time. And you go around in a few circles until you essentially get the gist, which is he is somehow a lawyer in court and also serving a very, very long prison sentence unfairly for something. Um, And you have this kind of contrast between the story he's telling you and and this man stood in front of the judge acting as a lawyer. And there is some moments of clumsy exposition during that, I have to say. It's a little bit confusing, but it is quite a confusing story because, as you say, it's partly based on the true story of this guy called Isaac Wright Jr., um, who is a real man who was wrongly convicted um, and he later oversaw his own appeal, as well as acting as a lawyer for other inmates in his prison. So that is actually... um, did happen but there's also a lot in here apparently that kind of didn't happen but none of it is even more incredible than what happened in real life his story was one of twists and turns and you'd never believe it um 
But he is the inspiration, but he's not set exactly on him. But essentially, this character, he is um, incarcerated unjustly um, and he's seeking to um, exonerate himself, but also he's seeking to show up the larger conspiracy um, that's going on within the justice system and particularly um, within this one department. Glenn Maskins um, is essentially a very powerful man who wants to become... um, district attorney he's played by boris mcgyver he is i have to say a mustache twirling um (laughs) villain he is as bad as they get and there is a lot of that in this show which is it's it's a procedural to the extent of it being there's the very definite good guys who've been wronged and there's the very definite bad guys who from what i've seen so far are just there to be evil um without much kind of context or backstory they just have to money and power um, and also you sense um, there's a racial element to it as well that they are specifically trying to demonise and prosecute um, African-American men. Um, so it, it, that's the full extent of how it's based on this true story. I think that Nicholas Pinnock in this is super compelling. You do kind of have to give up on nuance I think to a lesser or greater degree because it is told in very simple um, ways in terms of who is wrong and who is absolutely right and there is a sense of a kind of a case of the week element to it so I watched the first one and it was a particular prisoner who'd been Mm. um, uh, wrongly convicted and he helps him to fight his case while he's also the bigger arc is the case that he's trying to punch holes in when it comes to himself and his own um, conviction. There's a kind of a family on the outside for him, his wife, who he's still married to, um, who is now in a relationship with his best friend and his teenage daughter, um, who's kind of keeping this secret from him. So they establish really well the life he's left behind and what he's losing um, and what is sacrificed. It's well directed. Um, the first episode is directed by George Tillman Jr., who did um, The Hate You Give, um, which was obviously uh, did quite well last year at the box office. But there's something there's something perfunctory about the case of the week element. Does it really rise above your kind of standard procedural or crime drama? Um, I think Nicholas Pinnock's performance, you could argue, yes. He's incredibly charming. You have loads of empathy for him. You completely share his frustration. Um, I found him really, really, really compelling to watch. But there are moments for sure or particularly in the way the stories are told in some of the characterizations that it is kind of a simplistic bad versus good setup but does that really matter i don't think so i found it really enjoyable to Mm. watch um it's not particularly innovating in any you know dead new or exciting ways i suppose but i don't know if i if i need it to it kind of does what it says it will and i can i found it enjoyable because it's funny you say that because it's it's not because on the one hand this is not on the face of it what you would call a high quality you know peak tv no. serialized drama is it like this is very much a network 
procedural courtroom yeah. drama. Except I think it's kind of elevated beyond that. Like the, the, the synopsis, the official synopsis, is a prisoner becomes a lawyer and fights to overturn his life sentence for a crime he didn't commit. I mean, so far, so, oh my fucking God, I'm not watching this shit. Do you know what I mean? That sounds terrible. Um, and it could easily have been terrible. And you know my tolerance for procedurals is really, really low. But there's something about this which is deeply, deeply compelling. And I don't know if it's the innate sense of bubbling injustice which is under under the surface of it. that it's not just a courtroom drama it's a guy who is inside fighting for the rights of other people who are inside which is an interesting spin on it but also i think pinnock like no one does barely restrained yes. fury quite like nicholas pinnock whether it's as marcella's bellend husband whether it's as uh, as as ian shaw in counterpart like he does that he's he always feels like a tightly coiled spring ready to explode at any minute and he does it really well in this his american accent in fact this is full of brits doing yes. good american accents indira varma who plays the warden mm. in this mm. again really really good really compelling and does a solid american she's, accent in i this. think she's one of the reasons what you're speaking of because i think characters like her so as you say she's the warden and mm. she's involved in this as well and even though she's clearly marked as a good guy there's something there's yeah. a there's a blurring that goes on with her character that i think it does make this a, have give this a little bit more excellence almost because it's not just a yeah. straight normal warden um you know who's there to squash yeah. the prisoner's soul but she's also not an idealistic um kind of angel of a warden who's going to help everybody who's innocent she's kind of a flawed interesting human being she's also yeah. married yes, her wife right. is the <laughs> is up against in a my favorite <laughs> gratuitous throw it all together thing was her wife <laughs> is is challenging the Stash yeah. twirling district yeah. attorney in the election. I thought that was so funny that they're in brought. That was a genius little bring it all together. I, I think what elevates it above it, it is that it feels very, very now. Yeah, it feels very, it very current. Like the fact that it is an interrogation of racism in the criminal justice system, as well as being a procedure, and it's got all these elements to it. Where you know the white district attorney will do anything to stop this case from uh, from happening, from this guy from winning, get down to really, really awful, you know, conspiratorial things. It just feels very, very current and very up to date in terms of its attitude and its politics really did, that From all did AB feel a bit i, yeah, I suppose that that was where it it wasn't exceptional for me because they're all really interesting but those two guys you're talking about particularly are very two-dimensional right so it is like they are white guys and they are evil and there's no kind of I'm not I'm yeah. not talking about rationalizing it or justifying it or or trying to support it in any way but they were the ones who didn't feel like human beings to me so there was a whole courtroom scene where they're just kind of glaring at him with evil eyes and you don't <laughs> see I suppose, and I yeah. and I know that systemic and structural racism and inequality you know pretty much underpins the entire American justice system so of course they're going to want to benefit from it but you can of lost the sense of them as human beings or any sense of and they they felt like they felt outsiders because of that and it made me feel like the whole thing was more of a procedural you were kind of hitting those regular beats that mm. was mm. the bit that i couldn't get past but i think i'm on my own on that aren't i yeah i mean i i, I hate procedurals generally i can't i just they're not worth my time whereas this is something i plan to maybe watch some more of I and mean, for me to do that with the procedural is pretty unheard of I, I i totally agree with you in terms of the clunky 
characterization of of those characters what i I meant more was that i think it i think the the political attitude of the show is bold for a primetime abc show as embodied by their their evilness if you like it's like the white guy you know when they're setting up the beginning um he said he says something about oh you know friends bad friend i i had bad friends around me and there's a moment where you see drugs being passed and while he may not have been involved in some kind of big hall he may have turned a blind eye to things that he shouldn't have done and he's a very complex man isn't he because that he is still prepared to break the rules and break the law for the end result to be the right one so he's not kind Mm. of completely straight and exactly there's a sense though that he's working within a broken system where the decks are stacked against him and he's prepared to do what he needs to do to get the outcome that is ultimately just so it's i I like the the moral ambiguities of it and i like like the prison politics of it of course you have to have the you know the obligatory you know ornery aryan brotherhood in there like the the prison tropes are present and correct yeah yeah. that's very oz uh from, peter green from pulp fiction who's yeah peter green <laughs> who obviously played Zed in pulp fiction he he pops up as a nazi yeah yeah the the, the i i think the my favorite i still think indira varma is my favorite i love yeah, indira varma anyway and everything she does she's she's absolutely brilliant but also um her relationship with her wife is really funny where they they have this massive conflict of interest and they keep going on about it going yeah. do you think anyone's gonna find out about conflict of interest <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hilarious so there are really clunky elements to this because it is you know it, it as befits a prime time but i think it's just part of the genre isn't yeah. it really that it is it is an abc show mm. it's an abc prime time and show. i don't know if well, that bothered me and that's enough. the thing i suppose is i often no, I I, we'd sit here and we talk about how something is innovative and radical and different and i'm like does it have to be just to be good and and yeah, solid? No, no, no. I will yeah. also keep watching this because I was like, yeah. and, and to exactly what yeah. you said, James, he has this incredible energy where you don't know if he's going to, is that going to be used <laughs> well or is that going to come out in frustration? And the whole scene mm. hangs on the next three seconds of, of however he expresses what he's feeling. And he's, I think he's phenomenal. I really do. Be honest, though. You'd be far more entertained by this if it was set in a Welsh castle. I mean, there is that. There is that. Well, that is For Life. And the whole of For Life dropped on Sky Witness on Friday. So you can watch it now. Next up this week, we have Trickster. This is a non-American, non-British TV show from the exotic land of Canada. Uh, This is adapted from Eden Robinson's novel and centres around Jared, a small-time drug dealer whose life becomes a touch more complicated uh, by the advent of various supernatural phenomena. Uh, Now, this doesn't initially seem like, for example, Terry's bad. But I will say Jared's dad is an oxy addict. His mother's an alcoholic. They live in squalor just around the poverty line. So there's definitely some crossover appeal here, even though it's a sci-fi show. That said, let's hear Boyd's take on Trickster. I was not expecting this, I have to say. I, I don't know why. I, 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 was, I think, you know, this the shows that end up on... So this is made for the Canadian Broadcasting Company in Canada um, and has been acquired by mm. the Sci-Fi Channel here. And um, I think I was expecting, like, you know, a fair, a standard kind of genre, very genre type of show. And it's not that at all. It's really unusual and odd it's like a, it has that kind of social yeah. realism thing going on all the way through so it is set it's um play, this main character is jared who's an indigenous teenager in the small town of kitimat in british columbia and as you say he so he works at a, mm. a fast food joint and doles out drugs to customers um on the side extra salty fries <laughs> 
extra salty fries, exactly, to kind of his fellow high school students or just anyone who wants them. His mum, Maggie, played by Crystal Lightning, the brilliantly named Crystal Lightning, is a piece of work woman who has, yeah, I mean, she likes a drink and she kind of just invites all the locals around to their place and just has parties with them. And she is a full-on, like, I mean, yeah. over-the-top character who I have to say was borderline <laughs> irritating, quite irritating. Um, his dad, they're se- his mum and dad are separated. His dad lives somewhere else with his, his uh, new girlfriend and he has issues as well. Everyone has issues in this show. And then it, it kind of, it could just be a, a kind of social realist drama about this community and this teenager in the middle of it who has to resort to drug dealing. And it's very unjudgmental, <laughs> by the way, about his drug dealing. It's like, oh, yeah, this is all fine. Absolutely fine. And what's the problem with it? And yet he has these visions, these kind of supernatural visions. And in the opening scene, it kind of establishes there is something weird going on with this yeah. strange character that appears and you're not quite sure who that pers- that figure is and what impact they have. And then as it goes along, there are hallucinatory moments that the guy has. And Joel Lulette, by the way, as Joe, is really, really good. I thought he was great. Um, but and in the end, but nothing much has happened. I mean, this is a very, the first episode. This is all the only one I've watched. Just introduces the setting, introduces these characters, and drops in these hallucinatory moments. And you're like, I'm not. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea where it's going. I don't really know what we're supposed to take from the hallucinatory visions and the the strange goings on. But I I really liked it. I thought I thought it was very well shot. I think you know it's quite strikingly. Mm. There was a lot of kind of. Um, uh, uh, establishing shots of in- weird, interesting buildings in, you know, kind of like it's got quite a kind of almost like a Scandi Scandinavian drama visual feel to it, um, which I thought was interesting. Quite stark, you know, kind of settings, and it's quite. You know, interestingly, a performed, as I say, some people will or won't go with Crystal Lightning as Maggie. I thought she was unbearable, <laughs> but there you go. Um, and I kind of want to know what happens mm. to it all. It's only six yeah, so episodes, it's a, a six-part so miniseries I'll, rather than an ongoing yeah, sort right. of CW-esque yeah. thing. So I, so I think I'll find the time to carry on watching, but it is absolutely weird. weird. Also, it's the title show. sequence at the beginning, it felt like Friday Night of Fabric. Like, what the fucking hell was going on with that? It was like <laughs> colours and stroby lights. It's it's a very yeah. trippy, slightly weird show. I also think, like, and I get that this is adapted from a novel, so this is presumably why, but this show begins with the murdering of a dog. And I kind of, I mean, in some ways you could say that's bold, but it's like, that's quite a thing to kick off a show with and not completely lose your audience so you go from the murdering of a dog to his mother being the worst mother in the world and it's just like so straight out the bat it's quite a hard show to like like you've really got to persist with that episode to get past Mm, those two things because there's also there's no like the dog is literally killed in the first scene but it there's no remorse or anything. It's just very matter of fact. And I was like, there are a lot of animal lovers out there. I can see a lot of people turning it off at that point. Um, but yeah, it gets very, very strange. But it's this isn't like, it doesn't feel, you can tell it's a mini series. It doesn't feel like a traditional pilot because it's not really self-contained at all. Like the first episode taken in isolation, it's just like, what is going on? I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Um, but I am, like like you, I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of see what this is is like i mean because at this point i Mm. still don't know what the show is about um i have no no idea it was i found it a bit stephen king i think because there's a weird doppelganger grinning doppelganger which was all a bit henry james and then you've got um yeah you've got the talking ravens and there's yeah it's it's a lot 
it is a lot. Mm. Terry, you know, this is quite surreal, but, you know, there was squalor in there for you as well. So, you know, how how did you get on with it? Like, honestly, what is happening? I just could not get my head around this. It was a little bit, as you say, it was a little bit scandy. And then, obviously, YA. And, you know, it's a working class family. So you think, is it going to be about those tensions? Um, Are we going to have something about indigenous history or about their heritage you know the mum is absolutely deranged so is mm. this going to be about uh trauma passed through the gem- generations but then you do have a talking bird and a dead dog and i d- <laughs> and I'm, i don't get how it all hangs together the mum maybe because she's just so much like my mum quite frankly drove me mad like <laughs> she's like always hammered always showing oh, him God. up like the I, something this just all hang together it hung together really weirdly the score felt like it was doing its completely own thing over here um and it was like <laughs> it was like a mashup of lots of different teen movies and adult movies and things all pushed together there was a bit of folklore in there um weird ceremony stuff creatures forests a baby being kidnapped like i don't understand i didn't understand who it was for i didn't understand what it was doing i didn't understand what it was saying i didn't understand why i was meant to like any of them how am i meant to believe that hunky guy who's playing the lead is like some sad loner loser like please so i i cannot say anything more than I don't understand and I have no desire to watch it and I just felt like you know what when I watched Euphoria I thought I know this isn't for me but oh my god I'm loving being part of this world this world is cool and I'm not part of it because I'm too old but you know I like hanging out here I do not like hanging out here it made me feel like I was about 104 years old and that it was (laughs) deliberately passive aggressively didn't want people like me to watch it um and I, everybody's high and drunk, um, and I don't, I don't know why. And and I suppose it's not binary in that sense. It's all a bit. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> why? What is this? What My- is it? <laughs> is she? Is this? <laughs> this is the show that makes Terry feel like a man. I, I just didn't understand it. I was like, give me something to cling on to. Give me something which allows me to feel like I know where I, I mean, am it, and yeah. what's happening. Anything. It is fucking Is it meant to be supernatural or sci-fi yeah. or teen Supernatural yeah, and yeah, YA. So. Yeah, so teenagers and supernatural, which are both, I think, as incomprehensible as each other in this particular one. But uh, yes, it's, it's youths, sense, youths and, and spirits. No, it didn't. But I do think this is one of these things where maybe if you watch the first couple, it possibly and makes God, more sense. I agree with you. That um, was really, I was like, mm, hang on, is that... If, yes, I, it took me a while dog? to get past that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's a bold it's, Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. If you are young and hip and down with the kids, this might well be for you. Uh, and if you like a little bit of supernatural novel adaptation also, there might be something there. Uh, but Trickster is airing on Sci-Fi UK beginning tonight, uh, Monday, November 23rd at 9pm. 
Finally, this week, and by popular demand, we have belatedly decided to give The Queen's Gambit a proper review. So this came out a few weeks back, and we weren't given the episodes in time to see it for the podcast, but so many of you have tweeted demanding that we actually review this one, that we finally relented this week. It, of course, having nothing to do with the fact that there are fuck all new shows coming out at the moment and it is purely coincidental but anyway anyway this is a series based on uh walter tevis novel and stars anya taylor joy as orphan chess prodigy beth Harmon, who sets out to become a grand master with some narcotic and alcohol detours along the way terry be honest did this take you back to your fond memories of the school chess club how was it so like everybody as you've just said has been banging on about this and i honestly couldn't bring myself to watch it because i was like how good can a telly show even with Annie taylor joy who is a fine young actor how good can a bloody tv show about a chess game be Really, really bloody good is the answer. So I just straight from the from the get go, I absolutely love this. Um, Anya Taylor Joy, who I think is just a remarkable actor. I think it's the best thing she's done since The Witch, which I think she was astonishing in. That was her debut um, film role. But yeah, let's go back to the beginning. So as you say, this is a book of the same name and by a iconic writer so walter tevis who did the hustler the man who felt worth the color of money and what that makes you think actually is that this is going to be um essentially a sports movie right and it's going to follow those kind mm. of same beats and it kind of is but also at the same at the same time it kind of isn't first things first it looks beautiful smooth and oh, so rich good. and deep it, the the world they create is so precise and so gorgeous um i loved spending time um in this world and i think the biggest challenge was always going to be the chess exposition right because you kind of have to have some working knowledge of it um on a very basic level just to be able to um understand beyond the human state and I have to say, they came up with this really smart way of doing that mm. visually. I thought it was really, really entertaining somehow. Really clear. Rook explaining. Um, and I thought that was done brilliantly. But they did the stakes, the human stakes are really what this is about. Um, and there wasn't as much jeopardy or failure as you would normally get in a, a sports movie like this. But it kind of doesn't matter that those beats aren't there because what they do is prove the significance of each game to Beth. So Anya Taylor-Joy is Beth Harmon. Um, she is played as a young girl by Isla Johnston, who does an amazing mm, job, I have to so say. Good. Seamless, so good. easily be the same person. And then Anya Taylor-Joy, when she's an older teenager, <clears throat> although she pretends to be 13, because a man and woman turn up at the um, children's home that she's in looking for a kid. And she pretends to be 13 and is chosen by them, by this mum and dad. The dad doesn't stick around very long. That's not a spoiler. Um, and she's left alone with her new mum, who is Alma, played by Marielle Heller, who is the director. And I couldn't believe this. I nearly fell off my chair. And she obviously did Can You Ever Forgive Me? She's an incredibly <laughs> talented filmmaking. But Christ almighty, she can act. So her 
depiction of this woman who's been um, left by her husband with this new teenager in her house who has her own um, mental health problems, her own psychological problems, has certain expectations as a woman in the it's 50s and then 60s. So in the 50s, what you'd expect from a housewife um, and from a mother... She makes this character so fascinating. And the I've seen the first four episodes and the journey she's just gone on from being this really well-presented, um, well-behaving housewife to what she develops with Beth. And the relationship is weird and fucked up and gorgeous. They have this um, really kind of... Um, beautiful connection but that curdles every every now and then so they start to travel around the country and she starts to win money for the family from chess but she'd already developed this kind of pill habit um, back in the home where they were given pills to calm down they're essentially tranquilizers you sense and she's taking them as an adult and Beth is taking a couple for herself and then she basically makes her her drunk drinking friend and they're drinking together the the delicacy and detail of that relationship is brilliant actually when you contrast it against what we've just been talking about with whirlwind <laughs> whirling devil of a mum this is a really different but detailed depiction of that would be like and their relationship is absolutely fascinating it's so realistic and Anya is just this this girl who has this amazing brain but has all of these issues around rejection and not being wanted and needing to prove herself um she just puts in such a soulful performance as i say i'm four episodes in and i just love it i love the world so much i love being sat with her um i love their relationship it's really it's got a bit of a weird edge um i i've just got so much time for this it's utterly charming and weird mm. and fucked up it's, it is weird isn't yeah. it and it, it's it's a strange one but boyd mentioned this when you talked about it on the podcast before like she has this wonderful sort of ceiling chess thing that she does where she plays out games in her head yeah. and she essentially takes a bunch of tranquilizers lies on the bed and visualizes the board on the ceiling of her room in the orphanage so clever. and it's, it's the visuals are incredible. Uh, I loved Bill Camp in this as Mr. Scheibel, the kind of caretaker that she meets in the basement oh, yeah. Sorry, of the or orphanage. Sorry, I that whole bit about him teaching her. Sorry. Yeah, he <laughs> teaches her chess. But you're right, the way they explain <laughs> chess, it's like, you know, she's basically just pointing out to him how she's observed they move. So it's like, it's the if any of you don't know how chess works, this is how chess works. But when they do the kind of the big chess tournaments, half the time you don't even see the board, like, because it doesn't matter where the queen's rooks aren't, whatever piece is. Like, it, you're looking at their faces. Mm. It's all about the characters. It's all about the tension and the competition. And, you know, when she's playing Harry Melling, Dudley Dursley for this championship in episode two, you know, it's really properly nail-biting stuff. Um, I was quite surprised by the number of aggressively short fringes in this show. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's good. And also, the deployment of the word cocksucker in episode one was a proper had me clutching my pearls to my chest moment like, i didn't see that coming at all yeah. that was a real like oh and like swearing does mm. not phase me but i probably gasped at that point but it's like um, when she mm. she starts her period doesn't she at one point and mm. they show it like and it's really and there do. are moments when i say yeah, weird yeah. i don't know if it's the right word but i couldn't think of another way to explain those moments as you say where she says cocksucker where she <laughs> bleeds and goes up and goes home and says i began menstruating today <laughs> 
it's weird. Something about it's confront. It's quite confrontational in those moments. Yeah. It is. It, it, yeah. It's um. It's full on. It's absolutely um meticulously. Mm. beautifully made that as you mentioned the the cinematography is by Stephen Meisler is the director of photography who um I have to say um uh, worked on the OA and I think he's the it's mm. luminous it's the, <laughs> it the, is, yeah. the, the the you know like there are shots of and you think this is why I think Netflix when Netflix really comes into its own is when it spends this kind of money because like there's a shot I think in episode three of where Anya Taylor-Joy arrives at a, at a hotel in Las Vegas where they've recreated 1960s Las Vegas for like one flowing shot and it's like stunning you know use of CGI or whatever to make that completely immerse you in that place and time um, stunningly shot every shot is looks incredible um, Anya Taylor-Joy as you say is phenomenal and it is that relationship I think between her and the mo- and the mother as you say extraordinarily played by, by um, the film director um, Marielle Heller it's absolutely unique and I think it's like because you, you think I think this is the thing about this this show all the way through is whenever you think you know how it's going to do something, dramatise something, it doesn't do what you expect it to do. So I think you kind of think that it's going to have quite a judgmental... I mean, the mother is an alcoholic. She absolutely Mm -hmm. drinks extraordinary amount. But it's not really... It's quite brilliantly withholds judgment on that. It's just she is who she is. And in fact, there's a whole thread in this series about women in quotes, housewives at the, in this period in the 50s and 60s in America having to resort to drink. And there's a lot of shots of like other women that she bumps into carrying yeah. bags from the <laughs> liquor store of liquor to help them deal with life. And there's a whole thread about, you know, how um, numbing, numbing the realities of your daily life with drugs and tranquilizers and alcohol um, that kind of um, links uh, the, the daughter to the mother and to the other women in the show and it's all done very it, it's all done you know it, it, it's there for you to see and observe but that relationship between the two is so beautiful it's so intriguingly done it's so it has such depth to it I think and there are scenes where just like the two of them are holding hands in a car and you think this is just incredible stuff for me like I watched the first couple of episodes and I really liked it uh, when you know back in at the time when it become it was becoming a word of mouth hit and everything and for me it's episode three it is that Las Vegas episode there's a scene all I was about, oh, I don't want to spoil it there's a scene in a hotel room with two characters right and I think that ca- scene is one of the scenes of the year because it could go what happens between these two characters could uh, an infinitesimal number of variations of what could happen in that scene and you're absolutely let you're kept on this tense tension and it's fascinating and it's kind of like it's kind of about sex and it's kind of about relationship and it's about mentor and it's about man and woman it's all kinds of things happening and, and the way it plays out is not what I, is, I was expecting at all and it's so brilliantly done I think that is the moment for me where it just took off and became like a really interesting show um, into just something absolutely extraordinary and is I think it's one of the best it's certainly one of the best limited mm. series like you know one off s- series that Netflix has ever done um, and maybe one of the best things because it is at, and it gets better and better and better by the way the ending is unbelievably brilliant and powerful um it's just everything about it it's like the writing the directing the acting every tiny minor little character there are some characters that are just there for a few scenes they're just unbelievably well cast and given brilliant brilliant little moments like the guy in the show in the shop Mm. the local shop where she steals the chess magazine he is phenomenal and he pops back later judgmental pharmacist (laughs) judgmental pharmacist character right every single element of this thing has been brilliantly 
beautifully, perfectly put together. It is quite an achievement. Yeah, this is really good. I enjoyed this lots. Obviously, we are slightly late to the party. Well, I'm late to the party. You're not late to the party, Boyd, because you've been watching it all along. But uh, yes, The Queen's Gambit is available in its entirety now on Netflix. I believe there are seven episodes, I want to say. Seven yeah. episodes. Perfect. And But one more thing. Yeah, the exact right mm. amount. So this isn't, you know, it's like they've given the writer, like, how many episodes do I need to tell the story? Seven. That's yeah. the right episode. It's a slightly weird <laughs> yes, number of episodes is. for a Netflix show. But that's the whole point. It is exactly Exactly as long as it needs to be. Thank fuck for that. It's weirdly OCD triggering. Odd number. What the hell is going yeah. on? Uh, anyway, that is the Queen's Gambit. So good stuff. So what would be our tr- pick? I nearly said our trick of the week. I'm going to say Trickster is not our pick of the week. What is our pick of the week? Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit. Yeah. The Queen's Gambit. Indeed. Indeed. We, I'm sure, do have time very briefly for a quick Banshee. Uh, I feel obligated to periodically explain why it's called Banshee. This will obviously go on until this podcast dies. Uh, But it is, of course, the show, uh, the segment where we take a show of yore and uh, and resurrect it for your modern viewing pleasure, named after the Jonathan Tropper show, Banshee. Uh, And I shall kick off this week with Roswell, the TV series that first aired way, way back in 1999. Roswell. Hang on. How can I know? What's wrong with Roswell? Come on. That's like banshing the X-Files. Oh, it is not. It is not. Roswell's much more obscure than the X-Files. What are you talking about? Hang on. Hang on. I seem to recall, was it last week or the week before, you banshied a show that we reviewed on this very show. No. We didn't review it. I banshied a show that I'd once mentioned I'd watched after finding it. I'm pretty certain we reviewed it. What show was it? Remind me. What? The one that you did, the the, the one that last week, the one that you banshee that oh, we reviewed. I can't remember the name of it. Excellent, excellent. This is good. Uh, anyway, anyway, I'm going to talk about Roswell. I'm not going to talk about the new Roswell, comma New Mexico, which is the reboot, the reimagining of Roswell, which uh, which kicked off, I believe, in 2019. Has had t- two seasons and it has been renewed for a third, so it's actually been rebooted and is apparently doing quite well. Better, it seems, than the original, in fact. So Roswell is a Jason Catham show from 1999, which introduced me and let's say to a certain extent the world to people like Catherine Heigl and Colin Hanks and Emily de Ravine uh, and it was about um, a group of aliens from Roswell who'd crashed in at Roswell New Mexico and were going to school in the local high school so this is based on I think YA novels or a YA novel called Roswell High uh, it might be a series of books uh, and it starred Sherry Appleby uh, as the sort of like the high school girl who is accidentally shot in the first episode and she is healed by Jason Bears Max and he's an alien uh, and the first season is sort of you know Beverly Hills 90210 with a little bit of alien supernatural twist to it William Sadler's there as the local sheriff he's great because he's William Sadler but um, this they, they kind of they had slightly shaky ratings as I recall in season one so season two became much more X-Files it's much more about larger arcs they lean more into the sci-fi element so I much preferred season two it even had some really dark moments about Emily Durant characters can manipulate people's minds and she drives Colin Hanks character mad and he dies um but uh it, it, it kind of stumped in ratings one of the main things from this show do you remember that Terry do you remember this was they had Dido as the theme tune yeah uh-huh. so it famously had that but this this was its main competitor was Smallville uh, and my as I recall it might be of an urban myth but I do remember this and it's in my head so it might be true but at the kind of cancellation party when Roswell was axed after its third season after it moved, moved to UPN uh, uh, someone put on Remy Zero which was of course the Smallville theme tune and Smallville mm. was often seen as a show that essentially pushed this off the air because it was competing for the same audience and Smallville was by far the, the most popular one but there was a lot to like about Roswell I enjoyed 
enjoyed it for its uh, its run. There were like sixty one episodes, I think, in total. Um, but it was uh, it was a giggle. Nineteen ninety nine. It was much less famous than the X Files. Don't listen to Terry. Um, that is all. <laughs> so I am going to do a show called Rectify. Yes. Um, w- See, hang on. You know Rectify. Hang on. You can't be like, oh, Roswell's TV. You can't do that. And then pick Rectify, which appears on most critics' lists as the best TV shows ever made. Does it? Oh, my God, are you kidding? Rectify, that I can guarantee you hardly anybody who listens to this show has watched or heard of. You choose Roswell, which is literally like core text. <laughs> So, Rectify um, is a procedural-ish. So, it is about a young man who spends, I think, 20, almost 20 years on death row after being wrongly convicted of killing his girlfriend. And it is a show that concerns itself with sexual assault. So, the sexual assault that his girlfriend suffered. But also, what was really interesting about it was how it... um, centered his experience of sexual assault so he was assaulted in prison um which is shown and talked about in the show and you know often in prison dramas it's hinted at um or it's referred to i'm thinking about shawshank Mm. when it's clear i think there's a line in shawshank which says that sometimes he manages to fight them off and sometimes he doesn't and did you frame this is but here it they kind of explore what that was like and it really interestingly picks up on life after prison even though he's been exonerated and released how does that you know after spending the best part of two decades in prison and living in that reality what does it do to you and it really explores sexual assault from both genders um sexual violence and i think it was four i want to say four seasons mm, or yep four seasons um and the whole thing should be on netflix Watch it. It's good. Yes. If you happen to look at any critics' best TV show lists, you've probably already heard about it. So. No, you won't have done. <laughs> just anybody who hasn't heard of this, just send me a little tweet and tag James in it. <laughs> Boyd, what incredibly famous critically acclaimed I'm show do you have for us? Roswell. Roswell. No. My God. Yeah. The Sopranos. I'm doing The Sopranos. Um, no, I'm... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I'm indebted to Alex Head 1987 on Twitter, who reminded me of this one, which is Free Agents, which was a Sharon Horgan, Stephen Mangan, and Anthony Head comedy. Starred those three. It's set in um, the world of um, talent agencies and agents, so you know people who represent actors mainly. And um, so it's quite a kind of you know in the kind of world. It's written by Chris Neal. It was a, only lasted for one series on Channel Four in 2009, um, produced by Naira. Parker and Ian Morris. It was really well done. Uh, you know, absolutely brilliant cast. And it all starts off with um, Sharon Hawkins' character and Stephen Mangan's character having a one-night stand and their colleagues and then having to kind of lie to the rest of the office that this has ever happened and try and cover up for the fact that this has ever happened. So it's kind of like a, will they, won't they do anything beyond that one-night stand? It felt very accurate. It's a very mm. accurate portrayal of that world. And it was really well shot and really, really brilliantly done. It was funny. And it's called Free Agents. And I haven't checked whether it's on all four, but I kind of hope it is that I'll, I'll yeah. Let me, I'll do that now. Uh, it's not on all four, but you can you okay. know, seek it out somewhere. Excellent. Hopefully. Thank you, Thanks. Boyd. Well, that is indeed it for this week's Pilot TV podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed rambling, then do take a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating because it really does help, much like Gogglebox Girl did when she declared she wished the podcast would be five 
hours long. Something to aspire to for next week's show, possibly. Um, if you'd like to tweet, or indeed fleet at us, as the kids say nowadays, uh, this is apparently the new thing, we are all on social media, at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. And as we draw ever closer to the new season of The Expanse, which is even now less than a month away, be sure to tune in next week for more Not The Expanse Yet shows as we count down the mm. days. Until then, Earthers, Pilot out. <laughs>